Great. Um, 1 Corinthians 12, 12. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is made up of not one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Thanks be to God. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I'm trying to get him warmed up for you. Um, this is my friend Dexley. He's a pastor at Faith Community Church here in the city. Um, or you're about to be. You're moving into that senior pastor role, right? Um, and so this church uh, has been a gift to me. Uh, their current pastor is transitioning out, John Ames. Uh, some of you know him. It's just been uh, an incredible gift to uh, South Providence and uh, to Cranston area. We're just really grateful for their ministry. Uh, Dexley and I, um, just real briefly, just to explain this connection, um, it was pretty random. Uh, we ended up getting together. John had connected us as he was coming into the city. And uh, I loved meeting new church planters and pastors. And uh, we just kind of hit it off. And, and on a total whim, we do these all team gatherings on Tuesdays where we invite staff and sometimes some leaders, our elders come and we hear from a, you know, an older sage and uh, we take some time to pray and worship together. And it's not a meeting that's around logistics. It's just a time to actually just be together and uh, lean in and have some, some church time. And I, on a whim, was like, hey, Dex, we're doing this thing. Do you want to come? And uh, you can you find out a lot about a person and about how, like, uh, the unity that you do or do not have when you start praying with people. Uh, some of you know this. Um, there was no shot block prayers. You, know those, you, you heard the shot block prayer? It's like someone prays something, you're like, that is not a good prayer. That is not something we ask the Lord for. And then you fire a prayer to like block it as it's going. It's not really a thing if you're brand new to <laughs> church. Uh, but man, uh, getting to pray and be on our knees together and pray for the city and see this man's heart. And then the conversation that we were talking about that day is the kindest stuff that we've been leaning into all first seek. And so I, was, I knew then that um, really clearly I needed to have Dex come and preach here uh, during this first six seasons. So, man, let me pray for you. Excited for this moment. Lord, we thank you for Dexley for the words that uh, you have prepared. Uh, we pray that, Lord, this would be the beginning of the conversation for us. God, that this would um, be, be the prompt, Lord, that would help move us into greater uh, hunger for you, greater dependence on your spirit. And we're just expectant, Lord, for what you want to do, not just through his, his words, um, but uh, Holy Spirit, how you want to stir and move uh, in, in this family this morning uh, in our time of response after. So bless him as he teaches. And uh, yeah, we just give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. So good to be with you this morning. It's a joy uh, to be with the body of Christ. I love uh, visiting other churches and seeing people who 
are not just strangers, but brothers and sisters in the Lord. We've been bonded by something so great, so wonderful, so powerful. And to worship together is such a beautiful thing. And so I'm so thankful and joyful to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you to Pastor Andrew for just being so welcoming. Uh, we've just recently begun to get to know each other, but he's been a gift and a joy to spend time with, to pray with. Uh, so I'm so glad to be with you. And with my time with you this morning, uh, I want to look at 1 Corinthians. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, or if you don't, the verses will be up there. But we're going to be spending time in 1 Corinthians, really that second half of chapter 12, verses 12 to 31. We're going to be kind of walking through that text. Uh, but as you maybe turn there, or as we begin to uh, think about that, I, I, as I was preparing this message, was thinking about a very specific thing. Uh, I was asking a question. What, what are some of the greatest companies to come out of America, right? What, what comes to mind when we think of great companies that have been birthed out of this country? Uh, maybe you've heard of the, the Ford Motor Company. Some of you, I'm sure, have owned these cars, but I'm sure most of us has, have seen these cars driving uh, on the streets and the highways, right? So we're familiar maybe with the founder uh, and chief engineer known as Henry Ford. Right? And he's credited uh, with developing this ingenious assembly line system that allowed cars that would take months to build to instead take days, weeks to be put into production and, and processed. Right? But when we begin to dig into the story of the Henry Ford Motor Company, what we learn is that it wasn't just Henry Ford. You had people like Clarence Avery, the a lead developer in the company. You had people like Peter Martin, head of assembly. Charles Sorensen, assistant of head of assembly. These were some of the brains that brought this company to life. Google. How many of you have used Google? How many of you used it this morning? Most of us, all of us probably, at some point or another, have used or will use Google. It's become the most popular search engine on the web. And it started in a dorm room, right? It was a meeting between two guys, Larry Page, Sergey Brin. They come together, they start to build this thing, but even they, when they begin to birth this idea, they bring in people like Schmidt, a tech legend. They bring in people like Kordenstani. He's known as the first guy in Google to wear a suit. And so even as they begin to grow and expand, other people come into the picture to help build. And then there's Disney. I wonder if any of us have been able to avoid Disney's reach, whether it's the movies, the amusement parks, the songs. Disney is really not just a national, it's a worldwide thing. And we are familiar with the founder, Walt Disney. But what we miss is many of the iconic Disney characters that we know and love were not created by Walt himself. We think about Mickey Mouse, the most probably familiar face when we think about Disney. He was not created by Walt, but by a guy named Oob Iwerks. When Walt wanted to build a studio, build the parks, he recruited his brother, Roy, who would bring it all together. And then I don't know if you have heard of the, the nine old men. Les Clark, Ollie Johnson, Frank Thomas, Wolfgang, John, Eric Ward, Milt, Mark. These were the animators that brought some of the characters we just love to life. And these stories are amazing for many reasons. 
the smarts and creativity of people who could bring these ideas and stories to life. And I think at first glance, when we think about these companies, we always associate them with one person. We think they're built on a person. And as time moves on, it's easier to associate and think those ways. But as we look at these companies, we realize that they don't exist and thrive because of one person, but because a people came together. Because many hands came together. These founders, though geniuses in their own rights, gifted, were not alone. They did not bring these visions to life on their own. They needed a team that brought a diversity of gifts to the table. They needed a body. So as we come to our text today, I, I want you to understand that God has created something much greater than Ford, much greater than Google, and even greater than Disney. On a foundation not built on man, but on the perfection of Christ, Jesus has brought together a people, a body, diverse in gifts for the purpose of building up this church locally here at Sanctuary, but also globally all around the world. And with Christ as the head, the source, gifts are given to the body. And so we are made up of many different parts. And so as we walk through our text, I hope to exhort you today, to encourage you to pursue these gifts that have been made available to us through the Holy Spirit. And so I want you to see just in this section that we are the body of Christ. And each of us are gifted to build up the church. Somebody just read that first, those first few verses as was just read for us to help bring us into the text. This is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 31. This is the word of the Lord. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Earlier in chapter 12, Paul is writing of the many gifts that God has given to the church. That through the Holy Spirit, we've been blessed to walk in strength, not in weakness. But as he does this, and he walks into verse 12, what he wants to remind us in is that, yes, there are various gifts, a diversity of ways that God has equipped his church. But realize that all these gifts are empowered by the one Holy Spirit. So though we are diverse, we are united by one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so this is what Paul wants to see in this first section, that diversity flourishes in unity. Again, if you look at that text, verses 12 and 13, notice, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the, body of the, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is of Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Do you notice that throughout that, those first two verses, Paul keeps saying one, one. He uses this throughout the text 11 times, and I think there's a reason for that. Paul is trying to communicate something for us. 
He wants us to realize that there is a unity we are called to share. He's speaking into a context in 1 Corinthians where there is a lot of issues going on, a lot of problems in the church. The Corinthians had their fair share of problems, one being a, a real sense of superiority. In the beginning of Corinthians, we, we see this sort of, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, well, I follow Peter. And in this section, Paul is specifically addressing a sense of superiority over the gifts There are some in the church that believe because they speak in tongues that they are perhaps better than others in the church. Perhaps more spiritual, perhaps more equipped, perhaps more gifted that God has especially set them aside. Paul is speaking to a people who believe diversity means hierarchy. That diversity means that there are those that should be first and that those that should be last. But Paul wants us to see that God has something very different in mind. And 11 times he reminds the church, hey, hey, one spirit, there's one body, there's one church, there's one Christ, there's only one head. That's Jesus. So each one of us who confesses Jesus are baptized into that one body. Paul wants us to see that we, we need to grasp this if we want to see the gifts work out in a healthy, building up kind of way in the body of Christ. If you were to spend any time with me and my wife, Brianna, who's here with me, you would learn pretty quickly that we're very, very different people. I'm extroverted, Bree's introverted. I like chocolate, she likes candy. I tend to be late to things. She tends to stress about being on time. I like to over-communicate. Brie likes to say exactly what's needed. Very pointed. Right? We could go on and on. The differences don't end there. They go on and on and on. And one of the things I've learned in our short, sweet marriage is that that can be challenging sometimes to be different, especially when you live with somebody. That can be a challenge. But the reason why I look back at our, our, our years together and go, man, this has been so good, is because we share a unity that supersedes our differences. I can rejoice and I can say, no, no, Bree's differences have been a gift to me because we're united in the greatest way. So her differences are not a hindrance to me, they are a building up to me. They actually push me towards Christ and away from him. Because we share a unity in him. Our foundation is the same. And so we can walk together. We can run together. But that's only because we share that foundation. We need a unity. Otherwise, diversity just becomes a source of contention among us. We can begin to think that our gifts, that our diversity, otherwise is in competition with one another. That your gift of discernment works against the gift of administration. Or that your gift of serving can't walk alongside those who have the gift of prophecy. And what Paul is saying is if we try to operate outside of the unity that we have in Christ, we will grind up against each other in ways that will cause dysfunction, in ways that will harm those who are in the body of Christ. And so he he reminds us, church, you have drunk from the same spirit. You in Christ have become something new. That once you were primarily a mother, 
a doctor, a CNA, an athlete, that you were primarily rich or poor, a husband, an employee, a business owner, but in Christ you have gained something primary. And because of that, we can actually walk with one another. Because of that, our diversity actually causes the body to grow and to flourish. It is not a point of contention. It is a point of flourishment. We, we now need those differences to be in the body of Christ for the sake of building up the church, for the sake of the gospel going out into the world. And so with this truth established, Paul then moves us to realize that there are no one-member churches. Understand that there is a diversity amongst you, so not one of you is the church. All of you are the church. And I think that in our churches, in our spaces, there can tend to be two types of people. Those who believe they have nothing to give to the body of Christ. You feel like sort of like the appendix. You're just kind of there. And sometimes you get in the way. You add nothing. You give nothing. You might even have to be removed at some point in your life in the church. But then there are others of us, and we're the brain. We direct, we control, we know. We steer the ship. We believe that the church needs us and really could thrive with just us. So Paul wants to remind us, yes, there's a diversity, but realize, those of you who feel weak, you are needed. Those of you who feel strong, that's good, but they are needed. He says this in verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? What's Paul saying? He's saying that if you are someone with the gift of service, that because you don't have the gift of prophecy does not negate the value and the necessity of who you are and your gift to the church. That we need you regardless of what you think of yourself. That you are not useless. That you're not to be hidden away or cast aside. That you are a gift to the church. Paul is saying, can you imagine? Just think about it. Picture it in your minds. If the whole body were a hand... Or that if you were, instead of being a hand, a foot, could you imagine that we are all the same? How would we walk for all just hands? How would we digest food? How would we hear and see? We are all needed to even be a body. A diversity of gifts shows the health and strength and the wonder of Christ's power in the church. If we are a church in which everyone is the same, I think we have to ask ourselves some deep questions. Have we become a country club instead of a beacon of hope and light for the world? Sameness can often mean that we're walking in our flesh. It can mean whether intentionally or unintentionally we are saying, like the church of Corinth, that these gifts are good and necessary. These are optional and perhaps not even wanted here. But we have to see, as Paul is showing us, that's crippling to a church. Literally, if you don't have legs, you don't walk. If you don't have ears, you don't hear. We need all the parts to make up the body of Christ. 
So instead of celebrating those gifts, he is saying you are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit in your body when you do that. Whether you believe that you are someone who does not add or that you are someone who thinks you add everything, Paul is saying a belief of useful, uselessness or self-sufficiency seek to diminish the glory of God and the genius of God as he is arranged. We read that he arranges the members in the body. God in his understanding, in his power, in his sovereignty has said, this is how it comes together. In my design, for my purposes, I have placed you here with gifts to build it all up. And each one of you is necessary for that work. Tom Brady, maybe the greatest quarterback ever, right, is an excellent quarterback. But if you ever watched him run, you realize pretty quickly he's slow. He's really slow. It's, it's like, wait, is, did they, is this going on in slow motion? Everyone else seems to be moving at normal speed. I don't I'm sure most of us could probably outrun him. Yeah, that's for sure. Absolutely. But he's still the greatest quarterback ever. Let's not get that, uh, let's not get that wrong. That's right. But can you imagine if every position on the field was played by Tom Brady? That would be pretty dangerous. Right? There would probably be a lot of losing if every position was played by Tom Brady. So instead of cloning Tom Brady for every position and making him do things he cannot do, we allow him to be who he's supposed to be, to use the gifts that he's got. Right? The, the last year he was with us on the Patriots, one of the things people always complained about was, who has he got to throw to? He's got nobody. And one of the big reasons why people said they won last year the Super Bowl is what? He finally has receivers to throw to. People with gifts have been placed in the right positions around him so that as he walks in his gift and they walk in their gift, they can see victory. Paul wants us to see that that's the body of Christ. That as I walk in my gifting and you walk in yours and we come together in the unity we share in Christ, we can see the body built up. We've seen the gospel move out. Verse 20 says, if all were a single member, where would the body be? One member is no body. And so none of us are replaceable in the body of Christ. All of us are necessary. So you are not just a name or a member or a cog or a commodity. You are a gift that's been given by God, arranged by him intentionally for this church. And so God says it takes all of us. And he looks, he says this in uh, verse 21, that in light of that the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Now, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Paul is saying that the realities of the whole body should keep our significance in check. 
that before your head gets blown up in self-importance, realize that however needed you are in the body of Christ, so are they. That at no point in the life of this church do you get to go to a brother and sister and say, man, your gift of evangelism has been so good these past several years. That your gift of service, your gift of prophecy has been so encouraging, so life-giving, but your time is up. We're in the midst of a transition. We no longer lead your services. We're going to move on and hope and bless you for the next venture you have. No. Paul says, no, no, you are vital to the work of this church. That you are necessary. That we need the feet. That we need the hand. And that furthermore, those parts that seem weaker, less honorable, those are actually indispensable. Hair. It's wonderful. Most of you look better with it than without it. But you can't live without it. You can't live without your stomach. You need your liver. Eyes are amazing, but you can live without them. Paul is saying, no, no, I've looked to even out the playing field. Those, those parts that seem so much more appealing, so much more uh, desiring, well, I'm going to help you realize that, yes, they are needed, but you really need the stomach. It doesn't look pretty, but you really need that. We are all necessary. We are all gifted to the flourishing of this church. We're connected to each other in the most beautiful way. This is what Paul says in verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He reminds us. That because Jesus was willing to lay his body down, whereas the Gospels remind us that his body was laid high on the cross because he sacrificed his body, God has made a way for us to be grafted into the body. That through his life, his death, his resurrection, we have been brought into a new source, a head from whom we have our being and now connected to the source of all life, through the power of the Spirit, we are given new bodies, new identities, and gifts. And so we're reminded in this text that there is a diversity amongst us, and that is brought together by the blood of Christ through the unity we share in Jesus. And realize that every single one of us, because we have been chosen and brought together by Christ, have been given a gift for the building up of the body. And so Paul lays this foundation down for us. And he ends this section saying this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Earnestly. So Paul sets a foundation for us. He says, hey, hey, there is a unity you need to realize and hold on to. Cling to what you have in Jesus. Because without that, we cannot build. We cannot flourish. Realize that there is a diversity amongst your people and celebrate that. Call that out among one another. Encourage that in each other. He sets that foundation. And then he says, now I want you to be earnest and desire the gifts Realize that all the gifts are necessary and go after them. 
I have made these gifts available, the Lord is saying to the church, and I want you to approach them with a particular attitude, with a kind of approach. I don't want you to be begrudgingly going after this. I don't want you to go cautiously after this. Be eager for it. Be hungry for it. The discovery of what God has for us should give us an excitement. And so he is saying, you look at the gifts and begin with sincerity. Begin on your knees. Begin crying out and saying, God, we know that you have given this to the church. Would you give this to us? I have given these things so that you might flourish, so that you might grow, so that you might see me do miracles and works in your body. I have come as the giver of gifts. Would you ask and would you be earnest in this? Paul will use this word two other times in 1 Corinthians. He says in 14, verse 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Verse 39, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So three times in this section of 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, we're told, be like a kid who, who eagerly goes through a parent asking and expecting. Come to God and be eager for it. Hungry, seek the gifts, seek prophecy and watch God provide. And the exciting news for us today is that there is a diversity of gifts in this room. That if we really do believe that God is who he says he is, that he is a keeper of promises, that if Christ has really birthed us, he's given us new life in him, that we've been given the Holy Spirit, sealed by him. And if that is true, then he's also given us gifts and the availability to go to the Father and ask eagerly for them. And so whether you are somebody who has been cautious towards this, afraid about what God might do if you would give yourself, surrender yourself to him, you might be willing to take the risk or have the faith to believe that you do not have to know everything or understand everything for God to work. Or if you've never even really considered that God might have the gift of prophecy for you or a word of knowledge for you that you might have for somebody else or the gift of tongues. If you've never even considered that, I think we want to take time to be eager and to go after God for those things and to allow him to speak, allow him to order and arrange. I just believe that the Lord does have something for us this morning. But he's asking us to approach him and to be eager. And like a father who cares for his child, he will eagerly, joyfully, Give. He's not looking to withhold from you. He wants to give to his body. He wants to see us flourish, see us grow, 
So he says, come. Expect when you come. Not in a demanding way, but in a dependence. But come with expectations that I really will keep my promises, that I really will give generously to those I love, those I call sons and daughters. Come. You are my body. Christ identifies himself. When, when Paul is persecuting the church and Christ comes, what does he say? He says, you are persecuting not them, not the church. He says, you are persecuting me. Christ identifies himself with us. And he is our head, the source of our life. And so he wants to give us those nutrients, those things that we need so that we can see the body grow and flourish. And so he says, come and be eager. So I'm going to pray. We want to give you opportunity to come and seek the Lord in these things. To be eager and expectant and to trust that the Lord will provide. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the realities that we have seen in Paul's writing. That we are the church bought by the blood of Christ. That Ephesians 2 reminds us that we are God's workmanship and being created for a purpose. That he has created work purposes for us. That they, these things were predestined before time began. And so as we've come together, a diverse people, you have placed gifts so needed in this family, in this church. You have placed the gift of prophecy, the gift of evangelism, administration, service, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. You have placed those gifts here. And God, we want to walk in those. We want to see you work and do amazing things here, this morning, tomorrow, this week, this month, this year, we want to see you work. And so we pray that you would help us to surrender ourselves to you. That you would break down the, the barrier that we call caution. that you would bring a, a hunger in our hearts. God, that you would remove a apathetic approach to you. That you would remove those things and that you would give us a new, deep hunger and desire to go after the things of God, to go after what you make so available to your people. And so help us, Lord to trust in you, to expect good things from our Father. Jesus says, even earthly fathers do good. They're evil. Imagine what your heavenly Father is like. So help us, Lord, to come to the giver of gifts eagerly. Help us, Lord. Amen.